All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Stack Strength Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Daniel DeBrock. And uh, today, we're actually going to be talking with, uh, with Luke Miller, and we're going to be chatting about different levels of uh, bodybuilding fundamentals. So this is something I find really interesting. And, um, I mean, Luke, it's great to have you here, man. Looking forward to the chat. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. I think um, it's, a, it's a good discussion to have because the deeper you get into bodybuilding, those fundamentals do start to change because the expectation level of each level of client is different. And so um, it'll be pretty cool to kind of dive into the conversation today and, and see what we can map out for, for the audience. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess before we get started, can you just give a little bit of an introduction for those who maybe aren't familiar with you, your work, and some of your background? Yeah, for sure. So uh, educational background, um, I have uh, undergrad degree in mechanical engineering where I did mostly research in like the biomedical engineering realm. I was like designing orthotics and prosthetics. I did some helmet impact testing for concussions, things along those nature. I went to grad school for exercise science and physiology at the University of South Florida, um, where a lot of that was geared towards becoming a coach, which is what I do today. Um, but I did do research at both the uh, physique enhancement lab at Bill Campbell's lab, and then I helped out at UT as well. Um, so that's kind of like my educational background and synopsis. I own No Switch Fitness, where we take no switch in the pursuit of results, and that's like my coaching company, my coaching brand. Um, and then the educational side I do through J3 University. So I'm the main educator alongside John Jewett, who's the owner of J3U. Um, and it's like a comprehensive education platform that takes you through pretty much everything bodybuilding that you need to know. Um, we've got a couple of different variations of the modules on there. Um, and then we've also got new modules dropping over the next couple of months too. So it's kind of like an ever evolving platform with uh, a forum for people to get help with their contest preps, their clients' contest preps, all season situations. So it's it's a whole community. Um, and that's pretty much a synopsis, man. I, uh, I, I coach 24 seven, I live and breathe this stuff. I'm a competitive bodybuilder myself. So um, I, I, I live and breathe this, this stuff, man. I love it to death. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I actually just had Bill on for the second time. He's he's a cool dude. <laughs> yeah, I love Bill. So um, it it was really cool getting to do research there because uh, you, you have a good group of mentors there um, at USF that kind of really help. A lot of coaches that are coaching in the industry nowadays came from that program. So yeah, yeah, actually, I know quite a few just off the top of my head, which is kind of surprising when you see where where people came from. Even like. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see people's kind of origin stories, right? Like you look at a lot of the great coaches now, and I mean, just people who are pretty influential within the industry. And it's like a lot of them came out of West Side, you know, or at least had kind of that sort of influence. And so you sort of like know a little bit more about the history and where people came from. It's, it's I don't know, I think it's, it's pretty cool anyways. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, so one of the things that uh, I guess I did want to talk about, um, and I guess this is a good enough place to, uh, to start, I think, is sort of operationalize some of these definitions because when people talk about novice intermediate and advanced or however people will classify it yeah. sometimes we're maybe talking about different things i've certainly heard people consider themselves advanced because they've been training for seven years but i look at them and i'm like there's nothing advanced about you and then there's people who've been training for two years and their first time deadlifting they're deadlifting like 650 and they're like is this good i don't know you know, <laughs> you know so i mean um, yeah, I'm not sure if you have any sort of ideas or at least something to kind of couch the rest of this conversation in 
Yeah, no, I think setting definitions or at least constraints around kind of where each category lies is, is really smart. So um, novice or beginner, whatever term you want to use there from a, a bodybuilding competitive realm is typically for most people actually the first three to four years. Um, in my opinion, there's a lot of basics that have to be kind of laid down foundationally, not only from a training perspective, but from a habits perspective and from an expectations perspective for the people surrounding you to kind of start to get out of that phase. Um, a lot of times you'll see people will compete rather frequently through that phase because they've just gotten into bodybuilding. Now, obviously that's not the suggestion. Like we, we need to spend the time accumulating tissue in order to be competitive. Um, but a lot of times you do see like, especially with like client inquiries that come in, they may be at that three year mark, but their level of training knowledge or understanding or ability to execute training is still rather rudimentary. Um, you see just their basic day-to-day -day habits don't really support or fully productive of bodybuilding at the highest level. Um, and so that's kind of within the confines of beginners. Now, um, the thing to kind of overlay this is like PED usage within this kind of beginner phase. I really don't think PED use is suggested. I think there are caveats to that. Um, obviously within age specific, like recommendations as far as where people are when they're getting started and the level they want to compete at um, and whether they're making this a career or not. But for the majority, we should be setting a foundation. As we kind of go into intermediate, this is typically going to be your people that are competing at a regional, almost national level. Um, they should have experience of competing quite a few times here. Um, there's standards that we'll kind of talk about from a day-to-day -day perspective that should be set. Um, and then as we go into advance, that's going to probably be your national level competitors that have done it for a period of time, all the way up to your top level pros. So, um, obviously there's special snowflakes in every situation, right? Like you have the genetic elite who kind of make their way to the, the pro ranks rather quickly without kind of going through these stages. Um, but that doesn't mean that their experience level is still at an advanced level yet because their response to variables aren't that of an advanced athlete. They're still very new and responsive to these variables. So that kind of would be like the constraints I would start start with um, before we kind of start laying out what habits look like and fundamentals look like with the, within each level of that. Awesome, man. No, I, I completely agree. And it's funny because a lot of the times when I'm talking about, you know, training and coaching, um, so recently I've kind of been like talking a little bit more about how if you want to be a strength coach, and this isn't 100% pertinent to this conversation, but I say like if you want to be a strength coach, you should be strong as well, or at least at some point have been strong, you know? Yeah. And there's, there's other caveats that I talk about, you know, education experience, your your athlete competitiveness and stuff like that. But but I mean, that is one of the and. I've gotten a fair bit of pushback, but then, and they're like, oh, you're only saying that because you're strong. And I'm like, hey, I consider myself an intermediate. Like, I've competed at national levels. Like, you know, if you look at my rankings, but like, I still consider myself intermediate. I've only been powerlifting for almost five years now. Okay. Yeah. So, but there's so many people who look at that and they're like, oh, you're advanced. I'm like, I am not advanced. I'm like kind of mid range intermediate, you know? And so, 
it's it's nice to hear someone who actually kind of shares these sort of ideas around like what it actually takes to be advanced versus usually what people kind of consider advanced in the more general population. Yeah, I think, and to the coach's comment, because that's actually a pretty good one. Um, I think a lot of that stems from how far have you come from where you started. Mm-hmm. I think you have a lot of people who've been doing this a long time who may not be pros but if you look at where they started the amount of development that they've made for themselves is rather drastic right so like you can even take myself for this example like i've been competing almost 10 years now i've done seven shows um i started like 130 pounds soaking wet i had really just lost all the fat from being a fat kid in high school I wanted to kind of get into bodybuilding. And so I started and I actually competed fairly quickly from the very beginning because I was really interested in it. Um, But that being said, like I'm not a pro level competitor, but I've been at shows with myself and clients for 10 years now. And there's been a lot of development along that alongside that process personally. so now where I walk around around 250 right now, pretty easily, like not even peak off season. So it's, it's, it, some of it can be like, uh, what rate of progress are you making? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess we can kind of go off into, um, I guess into the next question. So in, in terms of, this is one of the things that I've definitely noticed is like, when you start talking about, let's say supplements or some of the more subtle changes uh, with regards to nutrition or training, you know, like, Hey, instead of doing your lap pull down like this, do it like this. Those things are really menial. And and in my experience, they don't really make any sort of difference when you're in that sort of novice state because you just don't have the fundamentals. So all those little details kind of get washed out, but then Mm -hmm. it's advanced because everything is in alignment. Exactly. Like you said, like your whole life is basically what you do. And so now everything that has the potential to give you some sort of boost does. And then you really see those those developments expressed more completely because you have all of the groundwork laid out. And so it's almost like when you become advanced, you can kind of hit the button and get these sort of newbie gains again, because even though they're sort of little, it actually ends up being a pretty big, uh, big change. And I wanted to kind of talk about, I guess, all of those sort of developmental phases of of uh, bodybuilder, or maybe even not a competitive bodybuilder, but let's say someone who is, you know, very serious about muscle growth and, and development. Yeah. So this is where I think athletes really have an upper hand. Um, I think if you have some form of athletic background, you kind of mix a lot of that beginner phase from strength and conditioning through sports. And where I think that benefit is is obviously depending on the sports you play, but for the majority of the conversation um they're starting you with learning basic functional movement patterns and learning basic compound patterns that are going to get the biggest bang for your buck and a lot of times like a, a funny quote to kind of describe this is like you don't know what you don't know and as a beginner it's like one of those things that it doesn't really matter if you're extremely educated on functional anatomy and no perfect force vectors to align the fiber direction, like if you can just learn to make your body move as a system and do that at a decently progressive level over time, that's going to start to lead to a baseline development of foundation. Now that doesn't mean that we can't 
do things better but i do think there's some freedom within like the beginner setup to really just like put your head down and work and gain the the benefits of that now i do think that there is a lot of value from learning someone from someone who is already very deeply in whatever pursuit it is that you want to do whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting or strongman or whatever it may be so you can start to learn like program design and execution expectations and adaptation specific to the sport that you're pursuing because like training ha adaptations happens on a continuum everything from like you know extreme one rep max to your marathon runner right and so where on that continuum do you fall and are all your actions that you're doing leading to that um as an athlete coming into it like your beginning years may not always have programming to be specific to bodybuilding but we've spent a lot of time under load learning how to move where when you do switch to driving that as the primary adaptation the response is typically quicker because the learning curve is a lot lower and so that's where like a lot of times you'll see athletes come in with a level of muscle that's a lot different than someone who's just coming into bodybuilding without an athletic background it's because of the demands they've placed on their system in the past and and that's a big advantage and i think as much as i love research and functional anatomy and setups and stuff like that i think there's a lot of anecdote to be learned in that example where if you just get the beginner bodybuilder moving with basically just skill acquisition so learning the skills of training there's so much progress to be had uh, just straight out the gate yeah and so there were a lot of interesting things that you said there, and I guess it kind of leads me to, to my next question of what sort of role does strength development play in the development of a bodybuilder, right? You talk about skill acquisition, and I, you know, I, I coach bodybuilders sometimes in the offseason, but I don't coach anyone who's very elite. That's just not my realm. I definitely don't do contest prep. So I'm, you know, sort of on the, on the outside looking in, but I've always yeah. been to know you know what higher level bodybuilders sort of think about the role of strength especially like in the long-term development of an athlete yeah i think it's definitely important and should be a metric that we're looking to drive over time right what i would say to that is um there's two two camps that i think have extreme views that aren't very accurate by themselves so you have like the extreme logbook crew, which I'm a big advocate of logging your sessions and watching the progression over time, but who have to see the acute jumps in training performance every week. And if they don't see that, no matter the level of the athlete, then something's wrong. Now, the caveat to that I would say is the more advanced you get, those acute changes are very few and far between. So the beginner is going to see a lot of progressions on a week to week basis, the advanced athlete, not, not as much, right? Um, a lot of that is skill based and, and learning based, but there's also like a level of training load that the start points a lot higher for the advanced athlete. Um, the other camp is going to be kind of the necessity of strength based blocks within hypertrophy training. So this would be modeling a program with some sort of powerlifting esque block within the confines of the program across the year so the macro cycle will include some sort of strength block that's resemblant of 
you know, some sort of basic powerlifting program. I think that is negligent as well because we're taking the athlete out of the adaptations we're trying to drive as a primary, um, which is hypertrophy, right? And so um, I think what we can do is kind of wave these two in where we're probably leaning a little bit more towards just the logbook tracking and watching the acute changes over time and making sure that the program confined the confines of the program lead to hypertrophy which is such a broad adaptation you can't really pin it like six to 30 reps according to literature is like the confines that we're living in within hypertrophy right so um if you look at that from a percentage of one rep max that's like 30 to 85 percent so it's it's a very large range we're living in and so i think as long as program structure makes sense from a fatigue management standpoint from a sequencing movement so that we're able to get the most out of each pattern and then we're progressing on a week-to-week basis or a month-to-month basis that's pretty much the basic fundamentals that we're going to need for any level of athlete the difference here is just the rate of progress right so um, the advanced athletes rate of progress is not going to be anywhere near what a beginners would be i will say the more advanced you get the more specific the patterns will get so classic example is like back training lat training things along those lines there's going to be a lot of unilateral setups as a larger bodybuilder because one mobility is typically not the best so even the external rotation access to align it to a lat plane is not going to be there bilaterally so we move to unilateral to kind of avoid that and then our ability to drive tension through the lats because of that lack of access is very low. So we have to choose very specific setups in order to drive mechanical tension where we want it. I'm going to be honest, as a beginner, you're not big enough to worry about that kind of shit. Like mobility is probably fairly good. You're probably younger. You're, you're not the widest individual. So you fit in bilateral patterns fairly well. So it's, it's kind of like that, that uh, dichotomy of, this is the advanced level is technically right but it's right because of the specific confines of the athlete you're working with this is like the tricep push down the people who use like the adjustable bars for tricep push downs to align it to their shoulders but they're like 150 pounds soaking wet it's like man you could just grab a bar and it's gonna align to your shoulder elbow joints fairly well you're not big enough or wide enough to even have to worry about that right like structures matter we can look at clavicle width and all this but um there's a baseline that needs to be met and that's going to be training within the confines of the hypertrophy adaptation perpetually in my opinion and i think gaining strength adaptations within the confines of that is more where programming needs to happen yeah that absolutely makes sense and i think you brought up a really great point about you know i guess we'll call it early stage specialization right where you know, maybe you look at someone like yourself or Chasm or a friend of mine, Nick Loth, and like they that. talk a lot about like, you know, line of pull and, and force profiles. And it sounds awesome and it makes sense, but then it's exactly like you said. It's like, man, are you, do you really need that? Like, you just need to be able to do a pull up. Let's just, yeah. you know, and, um, and so. At what point of development are you starting to kind of move into those things? Because I know you talked a lot about like, okay, so for a novice, you're looking at skill acquisition, 
probably for you know a good variety of exercise to to enhance their their motor motor skills yeah for sure you know and then as you sort of move into that sort of like intermediate stage what are they sort of looking at are you looking at kind of optimizing some of the exercises pending you know they they are like certain size or whatever yeah and i'll be real man at this point in my career i pretty much only work with intermediate to advanced like i'm not really working with a lot of beginners anymore i i used to but i just i don't um so a lot of that is setup optimization so a lot of people start to mistake this is and this is a big differential so this is be like a good takeaway um in the intermediate sector there's a lot of people who have weak body parts okay as a result of that weak body part they think they need to run very specialized programs with volume volume landmarks very skewed towards whatever body part it is so like if chest development's lacking they're training chest three or four times a week while really pulling down the volume on all their other body parts they consider to be stronger when in reality they just need to be better at training that body part at the volume level they're already training at because systemically they need tissue growth so this is like classic intermediate 101 it's like you're good you have a structure you see that you can compete in bodybuilding you systemically need tissue development but there's probably one or two body parts that are a little bit on a little bit behind a lot of that comes to either and Gloff is a, a great friend of mine so we go back and forth on this all the time the functional presentation of the athlete is preventing them in driving mechanical tension where it needs to go or the execution of the body part is keeping them from driving mechanical tension where it needs to go and so a lot of times it's just restripping down the execution maybe addressing some potential functional uh, issues that you can run into but a lot of times it's it's coming back to the execution base and that's probably where like from the intermediate the specificity of setups is the biggest thing to learn as you're transitioning out of beginner into intermediate because it's going to open your eyes to like okay maybe i don't even need this specialized block maybe it's just i need to be good at actually training this um and you'll see that open their eyes quite a bit yeah no that i think that's a great point so i run into something similar with uh with strength athletes where yeah. You know, rather than like, hey, we're trying to target this muscle, it's more like, hey, we're not getting enough output from your squat or from your deadlift or from your accessories, whatever it might be. So it's funny, actually, I, I tell the story all the time, but I'm still baffled at how many people just even at a high level aren't doing this stuff. Like I'll get an athlete in and then I give them their program. And a lot of the times when they're, you know, fairly advanced, let's say like um, elite or international elite, like pretty, pretty high level they'll look at the program and they're like, hey, like this is a lot less volume than I'm used to doing. I'm like, yeah, I know that's, you know, fairly common. Let's just do this and see what happens. Their first week, they're like, yeah, you know, like it's I feel pretty good, but I just feel like I want to do more. And I'm like, okay, well, I, what I want you doing is I want you really pushing a little harder on those RPEs. I don't feel like you're actually where you need to be. And then usually that'll take about two, sometimes three weeks if they're fairly advanced. And then by week three, they're like, oh man, like I am trashed. Like I feel great holy smokes, these workouts are hard. Like, I feel good, my body's recovering really well, my joints feel awesome, but blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I still want to do more volume? And they're like, fuck, no. <laughs> you know? And so, so it seems a lot like kind of the same thing as what you're saying, right? It's like actually getting the stimulus where it's supposed to be directed instead yeah. of going through those motions. Um, 
Yeah, it's really interesting to kind of hear it from from the bodybuilding side because again, this isn't something that that is really really my wheelhouse. It's sort of like I'm kind of like an onlooker, I guess, to some extent. Yeah, no, it's it's good. I think where a lot of people mistake bodybuilding is they think that um, the transferability of it across different sectors is very easy and. In honesty, like bodybuilding is pretty much just good for bodybuilding. And like it's I love it. Like it's great. Like you see the the bodybuilder who's coaching gym pop clients and doing bodybuilding things with the gym pop clients. It's like, man, you are so far off base. Um, but and, and the reality of it is is that's the truth, is like we're probably not looking at all these minutiae details of fiber alignment and force directions unless we are a bodybuilder that's getting to a level that development requires that and there's a reason you don't see a shit ton of bodybuilders walking on the street is because there's very few and far between when that as far as the amount of people that get there um and it doesn't cross transfer to anything very well at all from a performance standpoint as an athlete from a uh from a power lifter you could probably make some argument that overall weight you know under a bar could could be but we have the the research papers that show the differentials between strength and hypertrophy adaptation it's very common in the blood flow restriction literature as well so you know I, there's not a lot of transferability a lot of times from a, a bodybuilding perspective into other sectors and a lot of that has to do with that once you get into upper echelons of intermediate to um advanced those program designs are so far gone that most people probably aren't haven't seen them very much or they're um so specialized that it's not going to cross transfer into these people that are beginner or even just phasing into intermediate no that that definitely makes sense and so <clears throat> with regards to the mind muscle connection i mean obviously there's kind of an ongoing debate uh, about this where like you know i have my perspectives on, on some of these things but there's obviously like sort of oppositional camps but um i'd be interested in hearing like your perspective and what you've seen on the the relevance and utility of development on this connection especially at different stages of development yes so mind muscle connection to me is progressive over time as in the further into bodybuilding you get the more that should be present um in regards to kind of you know what level does it play in a development standpoint um extremes are never are never a good place to live so going so light that we squeeze the shit out of the muscle and we're just holding the contraction to feel it and that kind of stuff is not a very good place to drive a lot of mechanical tension in the same token going so heavy that we're just moving things from a to b with no residual pump left at all is not a very good place to live either and so for most people it's going to be somewhere kind of right in the middle um i will say um teaching someone mind the muscle connection on body parts that they don't connect well with is a training tool to drive skill acquisition at a faster rate so how does that work so typically that would be putting a muscle group in a shortened position whatever movement pattern that would allow them to be in that shortened position out of the gate so that when they go to mid-range lengthen patterns 
they're able to drive tension specific to that body part um, because they've already created the central nervous system connection to that body part um, that they need. So common example of this is just doing a short and in-range cable pullover for a lat before we go into single arm rows or before we go into a single arm cable pull down or something along those lines. So there is value in it. I don't live and die on it. I think there is a spectrum where like compounds, you will have that mind to muscle connection, but it won't be as intense as isolation patterns. And pretty much that's just a product of the amount of stimulus we're driving through the movement via mechanical tension in a compound versus an isolation pattern. Mm -hmm. No, that totally makes sense. And so I guess kind of um, exploring a little bit about the difference between compound versus isolation, how mm -hmm. do you find that changes as a lifter becomes more advanced? Like I would suspect, and correct me if I'm wrong, I would suspect that you probably have a bigger bias towards some of the compound movements initially. And then as they become more experienced, some of that might drop off i i don't know um i don't know how much of it drops off as in it's just a product of you're better at choosing the compounds that you that you do so um an example of this would be like pressing right like who doesn't get in there and bench press straight out of the gate when they first start lifting right like it's a pretty common pattern within the confines of beginner trainings right um incline bench flat benching um the amount of people that that actually fits across um bodybuilding as you get more development it starts to lower just because like a lot of times you see rib cage expansion on the interior side developmental mobility issues even stability issues as you get bigger um so classic like serrated dysfunction issues and things along those lines where a lot of times it's just you see bodybuilders tend to trend towards externalizing stability in order to drive load through their compounds without having to internalize the stability component i do think that that's a big mistake that a lot of bodybuilders do because i think there's a lot of carryover from a performance standpoint into um those externally stabilized patterns like for legs let's say hack squat or um, leg press or pendulum squat that possibly keeping a safety bar squat in in very in different places of the program having that capacity to squat with internal stability will transfer into output on the external stability so um i think that's probably where you start to see a lot of it is a lot of bodybuilders aren't on a barbell and that's a mistake for some but not a mistake for others depending on what they can handle. Um, I will say from like a conversation around the big three, most intermediate to advanced bodybuilders can't recover from deadlifting from a volume perspective because of how uh, much volume is being trained elsewhere. Um, a lot of bench pressing patterns turn into chest press machines or Smith machines or some variation of the like, um, where squatting, for most people, especially from a volume perspective, because we lack the external rotation access, it becomes more of an issue at the shoulder joint than it does anywhere else, which is why you see a lot of bodybuilders go towards more anterior loaded squat patterns like a safety squat um, or even like a specialized bar 
where you kind of get that cam out in front to mimic a front squat um and then like hacks and pendulums right so uh you probably just as you go across you're moving further away from the big three but you're not moving away from compound work right no and and that, that makes a lot of sense as well so right now um i'm actually doing the first type of bodybuilding training i've ever done <laughs> um, because i i had a bit of a a health issue maybe like about 10 weeks ago or something like that okay and um i just would like faint all the time basically so i was like wow. yes yeah. so, i mean now i actually feel great and i haven't had really any dizzy spells in the last like two weeks so so i'm feeling pretty good but um i just didn't want to unrack a big ass squat and then fucking drop it on myself spotters right so yeah so i was like okay i'll just use this time to kind of get lean and uh it's actually been crazy so i've been I think about seven or eight weeks in now and this is the first time that for me i'm actually having to change exercises because i'm like okay i'm actually getting noticeably weaker because i'm about 15 or so pounds down now so yeah. my bench is going down i mean i did choose other exercises because i was like i'm, I'm going to choose exercises that i'm weak in because i don't want that mentally messing me up um right. and so i was able to make progression but then i can hit my first wall so now I'm having switched to other exercises as well. And it's like, it, those kind of things are definitely interesting, but it's also kind of reflective of exactly what you're saying, right? Like you just can't tolerate certain volume loads. Um, the, the level of fatigue you get from, from uh, I don't know, certain activities. So I actually had to switch away from a stiff leg. And now I'm just gonna be doing like a camber bar, um, good morning or something like that. Yeah. That in and of itself has been a really interesting kind of uh, sort of an eye-opening experience um, in and of itself, actually. So it's it's kind of cool to sort of be like peeking behind the curtain a little bit. Yeah, you you're also probably coming from a volume set from a strength adaptation standpoint that's quite a bit lower. Um, and we have I forget the name of the paper, but it's out of the UT lab. It uh, it kind of points to. Um, previous training volume levels suggest the new volume level we should be training at when we're trying to drive adaptation in one direction or the other yeah so, like for, so as like someone who's probably trained at lower volumes a large portion of pursuing strength then that adaptation or that step into hypertrophy training should be a very small jump in volume set mm -hmm. and we can do that by lowering how much fatigue is driven from movement selection so this would be the step away from deadlifting the step away from bench pressing the step away from barbell back squatting where we still get the stimulus of the compound pattern but the net water poured in the fatigue bucket is lower so this is just a concept uh, it's called stimulus to fatigue ratio um popularized by like rp in them with jared feather in them yeah um, so this is kind of like where uh, choosing those movement patterns is important, but also not getting movement happy because uh, bodybuilders love to train a lot. And so as a result, you'll see these sessions that are like a fuck ton of movements for a single body part. Like you're talking like five exercises for quads with three or four exercises for hamstrings. And that's, that's a lot of stimulus, but when you go into new blocks, it limits how many exercises you have to choose from going into those other blocks to drive the same stimulus. So like 
whatever whatever this movement may be lengthen hamstring in a stiff legged or shorten hamstring in a leg curl or whatever that may be or what squat pattern you're doing um so that can be a mistake in this of itself is like introducing a lot of extra patterns and it's probably just more so replacing patterns so that you can manage the volume load yeah no i definitely agree with that and so in, from your perspective like when you're when you're taking a let's say a, a lifter and you're you're looking at them from an intermediate standpoint trying to take them to let's say advanced what are some of the big things that you will focus on um obviously it's gonna be highly individual but just broadly speaking have you noticed any sort of generalizable um characteristics that you tend to focus on yeah no absolutely so let's go from lifestyle into nutrition into training kind of go in that order so um lifestyle to start um going from intermediate to advanced is a, a very big lifestyle commitment um this is where you really need to like live and breathe bodybuilding and the people around you need to be aware that you're going to be living and breathing bodybuilding um because you kind of start to nix a lot of your social life a lot of the things that you may have done as a when you were younger tend to start to go out the window um there's a lot more structure in the day-to-day -day routine sleep times need to be consistent wake times need to be consistent um and and that's a pretty big toll on lifestyle especially when you get to the point where you're planning your day-to-day -day activities around what body part you're training so the 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 classic example is the person who does legs on the weekend so a saturday leg day person or a sunday leg day person doing that if you're actually going to get the most out of your sessions a lot of times that requires you to not go be doing a lot of activities before that session being out and about on your feet walking around because when you're 245 250 260 270 280 that walking around is a very large stimulus oh you good yeah you got me can you still hear me yeah it says it lost the connection that's why oh. anyways um so being that large um is going to be a large stimulus before you even going into the training so from a lifestyle perspective like everything needs to kind of be set up to drive your training performance and your recovery capacity this is the hardest one for people to um buy into because it sometimes requires you getting rid of people in your life that don't want to live up to that expectation um, or don't respect that expectation. There's a kind of a dichotomy there. Um, but that being said, like you need to hold yourself to that standard of the monotony of bodybuilding is a reality. Um, and if you're not willing or even enjoy the monotony that that requires, um, it's probably not something you should be chasing or pursuing at a super high advanced level. Um, nutritionally, um, this is kind of where nutrition skills really have a, uh, a big role, um, because did it kick me off? Yeah, no idea why it kicked you off, but we're, we're good.
I mean, like, I can do that perfectly, so. Okay. Um, so from a nutrition standpoint, the nutrition skills that need to be there as an advanced athlete are, are pretty high. You need to be able to, if you're traveling, make decisions on the fly that are still going to keep you within the confines of the plan. Um, you need to be able to be prepared enough to have food when you're going places. Um, there, there, there's an expectation there that is a lot higher. Um, you're, you're going out to eat still needs to be pretty good decision-making to keep you on track. Um, we know that large influxes of food are going to skew, uh, response to food and, uh, blood glucose values and a couple other variables for one, two, even three days, depending on how far you go into the eating episode. So these are the kind of things from a nutritional standpoint that consistency in food selection, things like that, that really need to be on the ball. Now that doesn't mean like 24 seven meal plan is the only thing I eat. Like there's variability within that. That's actually good for you. Like being able to pull foods in and out and substitute and still hit the numbers that you need to hit. Um, that being said, the consistency on a week to week basis for how well you're handling your nutrition needs to be kind of at a really high level. And there's skills that need to be have been developed throughout your career in order to do that. Um, training, a lot of training is going to be um, objectivity with your training style and your your training selections is where you see a lot of people hire training only coaches is removing the egotistical or the self bias towards whatever it is they prefer to do and doing what you actually need to do. Um, because a lot of times your better body parts are the ones you really enjoy training. And so it's kind of like a dichotomy of, is this how I actually get better as a bodybuilder or is this what I need in order to, uh, stroke some sort of ego that I have. Right. Um, and so those are kind of like probably the biggest areas now, the one that hasn't been brought up and I think is a skill that needs to be across the board, but really, especially as you get into intermediate and advanced is health tracking and health monitoring. Um, if you don't have the financial side of your life in order, in order to be able to not only pay for the PEDs, but pay for the health metric tracking and the supplementation and the lab work and the yearly echocardiograms and things like that, your pursuit into advanced bodybuilding might need to be reconsidered. And when you say advanced bodybuilding to me, like that's people who are going to be pursuing this as a career. Um, you can have advanced bodybuilders who have just been doing it a long time. Um, a lot of times in that situation though, their day to day and their pursuit of actual bodybuilding is no longer at the forefront. So, Yes, they're advanced, but they're not living the lifestyle of an advanced athlete. When you get to the point where you're chasing this as a career, so that high intermediate to advance, lab work needs to be every 12-ish weeks. We need to be um, optimizing baseline hormonal status. So especially on the female side, um, a lot of times when you get to the advanced level, uh, menstrual cycle dysregulation is very common, even premenopausal presentation. So Hormone replacement therapy for females is, is a needed and you need to have the data in order to be able to do that. And honestly, the funds to be able to track it. You need to be able to have the health supplementation that's gonna limit that, the medications is gonna be prophylactic strategies. And you need to be able to do the higher grade testing that's gonna see 
if we're getting worse on the long-term health risks that are associated with bodybuilding. This is why I said echo is the first one. So this would be like echocardiogram, calcium scores, things like that, to make sure that we're not killing ourselves. Um, and, and that's the kind of stuff that as an advance, like that needs to be spot on. And if it's not, you, you might want to reconsider what level you're trying to pursue this at. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a fantastic distillation of, of priorities. And I like that you brought it up as a skill because it, it really is. And I'll, I'll try and explain this to, to people like over and over and over. And it's like they hear it, but they just don't internalize it, you know? And they're yeah. like, well, I mean, I can eat or not eat. I can go to bed or not go to bed. Like these things individually, like in isolation, they're very simple. But then it's like, okay, well, I'll tell you what. I can teach you how to jab pretty damn well within two weeks pretty like where it looks like you actually know what you're doing in two weeks now i'm going to put you in a ring with mike tyson and we'll see what happens you know what i mean and it's like it's not the same thing so i'll try and explain that to people it's just like it, it takes it takes feeling a lot to, almost, to realize like oh shit i i actually have to sort of humble myself and you know like going for a walk every day isn't as as easy as i thought it would be you know like i'm busy how do i have to fit that in doing the meal prep, doing all the stuff, you know, and, and it's, it's like, there's, there's levels, man, exactly like you said. So it's funny actually, because, um, I don't really get this that much, but every now and then, cause similar to you in the strength world, I'll mostly train with, uh, or I'll mostly coach like intermediate or advanced athletes, you know, yeah. every now and then, uh, and it is pretty rare now, but every now and then I will get someone coming in being like, Hey, you know, here's what I want to do. They're a novice and they're saying they want to compete at like the upper echelon of whatever it is. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what that looks like? And they're like, yeah, I, I'm all in. And I'm like, what do you think all in means? And so I think that's kind of like, I would actually love to, to open that conversation up because I think that's something that's really important is, is your actual mentality going into it? Do you understand the trade-offs? Do you understand what you're going to have to do? Do you understand what that life is going to look like? How much dedication, how much time you're going to have to dedicate from like, you know, a decades standpoint. So um, I'm not sure if you just kind of want to take that and, and run with it. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. I think, especially in today's generation who you have that novice that says they're going to be an Olympian, right? And it's like, man, you you don't even know what that looks like. Like, you don't even know what that entails. Um, there's a couple things to discuss within that. I think the first one would be loving the process more than the outcome. I think a lot of those novice people who are saying that are more obsessed with the outcome of getting there than they are with the developmental process that is going to be required to get there. Um, I think that's why you see um, the people who do the best say that though you always see like the story of i started here and i got somewhere that I never expected to be because they just originally started it because they love bodybuilding and the challenge that it presented and the opportunity to better themselves mm -hmm. so i think it it starts there um i think communicating as a coach to your athletes um communicating to a coach to your, as a coach to your athletes what that entails is very important, um, especially from a health risks consideration. Um, so just to kind of diverge this into male and female, um, especially on like the health considerations things is gonna be on both sides, but on the female side, like 
how bad do you want kids? You want to pursue bodybuilding at the upper echelons of physique development, like WPD, or even like the Olympia stage of pro figure sometimes and women's bodybuilding where that pursuit is very counter to your capacity to be able to procreate because of what it all entails in order to compete at that level. Um, this doesn't mean that just because that diminishes your, your health should diminish. There's ways to work around this, but is that a sacrifice you're willing to take? And like from the female side, when I, when I get that coming in, if it's kind of with the goal of competing at the, especially the upper, uh, echelons of whatever category they're in, like that's a risk you're going to take. Um, on the male side, it's like, you know, we're going to do our best to manage health metrics and we're going to manage our blood pressure and blood glucose and track all this information. But do you realize from a lifestyle perspective, how pulled back you're going to be in order to do this? Right. Um, do you know what it's going to entail from a, a investment standpoint, all of these things, right? Because for a lot of us, there's a lot of time where we're not actually making money from bodybuilding yet or whatever our pursuit is strength sports or whatever it may be. The money's coming from elsewhere. So you're like 18 out of your 20 year career is, is unpaid. <laughs> it's like, it's like, man, like you guys don't realize, like there's been a lot of time I spent working, you know, other jobs but to do what I do now. Right. Like it doesn't happen overnight. And so, um, I think that's probably a big conversation you need to have with those people coming in is like, this isn't going to happen tomorrow. You need to give it everything you have, but you're going to have other aspects of your life that are going to be necessary to support that pursuit. And if you're actually going to pursue this at the level you want, one, do you have the genetic capacity to do this? Because not everybody has it. And then two, um, are you willing to sacrifice everything it's going to take? Because you're going to lose friends. You're probably going to lose a lot of relationships. You're going to be very, very isolated for long periods of time. And that's part of it. Like, it's just kind of how, how it is like, and then once you get into the public sphere and you might be an athlete that's at a higher level, there's a lot of connections that happen and it becomes less of a solitary pursuit. Right. But, um, there is a lot of time where it does feel like that. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I, I think that that's a really undervalued, um, sort of truth like i'm not sure if you know who this guy is his name is grant cardone he's uh yeah he's like a sales guy. so um i worked with his company a long time ago um i was in sales and doing corporate sales and mm -hmm. uh, like one of the things that he really really harps on is like most of the time people fail because either a they underestimate the amount of effort required or b they underestimate the amount of time it's going to take and and that's one of those things that like for me really just stuck with me and i mean obviously we all kind of have moments where we're like fuck man this is just so much like will i ever get there wherever there might mean for the individual but then at the same time it's like you just kind of remind yourself like man you know like it, it honestly kind of baffles me because i'm like oh I've, I've only been powerlifting five years like it seems like forever but I'm like, I've only been powerlifting five years. You know, I look like, I look at someone like Dan Green that dude's been doing it for like, what, 25, you know? So it's like, I, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I've been doing it for like 17% of the time that he's been doing it, you know, like, yeah. and, and it's really crazy when you think about that. And so if you're, for a lot of people, it's just like, if you just keep going, 
and you sort of like expect it to be 10 times harder than you than you assume and you expect it to take 10 times longer than you assume it's going to take and you're still like yeah you know what this still seems like something's going to be fun then then i think you've got a pretty decent attitude going into it but uh yeah yeah for sure i think i think that cross applies to coaching as well like i'll get some people who will say to me like you're so lucky to be in the position you're in and i'm like <laughs> yeah but but do you know how much i worked like yeah i've spent and, and that's the thing it's like you know you you, you get out what you put in like and, and this is a conversation i had with a good friend of mine callum raystrick he's a coach over in the uk um i'm up at 5 a.m pretty much every day and i am starting work pretty much by 5 30 and i am working pretty much all the way into the time i go to the gym in the afternoon which is 5 36 and sometimes i'm going to the gym and coming home and continuing to work mm -hmm. and that is almost every day i literally just this past month have started to take sundays off and that is what my last five years have looked like is working every day from 5 30 until almost the time that i go to bed in order to do what i do right now and people don't connect that with their pursuit of powerlifting or bodybuilding or whatever that may be because when they look at like a coaching job they can see it because they see it as a job but then they look at that from the athlete perspective and they're like i don't have to do this it's like well i mean you really do like you may not feel like you're working but turning off that tv and going to bed at the same time every night just because that's what you're going to prioritize over hitting the next episode button on Netflix is, is going to be part of that expectation of you actually pursuing this to a high level. And so it sounds awful or not awful. It sounds odd, but like it's part of the expectation, right? It's like, mm -hmm. it, it needs to be set that you're working from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. And it's funny because it goes back to what you were saying earlier about people sort of seeing an outcome and saying, hey, that looks really cool without sort of having any real understanding of, you know, the the trade-off, the time, all the stuff that's that's required that kind of went along on the back end. Because, you know, I mean, it's very easy to look. And this is something I've, I don't get it very often, but I've had it every now and then where someone will be like, oh, yeah, well, it's easy for you to say. Like, you work from home, you make your own schedule. And I'm like, okay sure but like that wasn't always the case and i mean in your case it's like okay i went to school or like you went to school and you you got your master's you worked other jobs to support or supplement your income while you were doing all this stuff you work you know x amount of hours every single day for years and years and years you sacrifice your soul to life all these different things and now you're just coming into a place where you're able to have like a day off and, and that's what people can see and you know they're like oh i could i could be a professional athlete if i have your lifestyle and it's like bro i had your lifestyle and now because i made it you know so when i was at usf um there was a semester that i was working as a strength coach for the football team um so i was helping football um baseball some with soccer and then the sailing team and so my days started at at the facility by 5 a.m which means i had to get up at or leave by 4 15 because it was a 45 minute drive to the campus where i lived in tampa so at 4 15 i'm leaving i was there at five i worked in the strength and conditioning facility 
all day until around one o'clock. At one o'clock, I was able to train for two hours. For when I finished, I would either have another group to train before I went to class or I would go work on my coaching business that I was already coaching on the side until I had class from five to eight. And then I would drive home and get home around nine and then wake up at four, four o'clock to do it all over again the next day. And that was every day when I was in grad school, except for the days I didn't have class, which then would be spent working on my coaching business. So it's like, we've been there. It wasn't very productive for my personal bodybuilding, but it, it's gotten me to where I, I want to be. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I mean, even, I don't know, even right now, like, I'm getting, I'm becoming weak as shit because <laughs> I'm losing a bunch of weight, you know, and, and it's like, it's annoying as hell and it's frustrating, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what, I, like, right now I'm 260 and I probably mm. will have to get down to about 240, maybe even 235 before I'm like at about 10%, you know, and then once I'm there, then I'll be able to go back up. My end goal is I want to be about 300 between 10 and 12%. You know, that's okay. my long-term goal. Because if I can do that, there's no fucking way in hell that I'm not sweating 850. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so, like, I look at that and I'm like, that makes sense to me. But coming down and doing this, it's like one step back, take three steps forward. And that's kind of what you're saying about the, uh, the whole, um, you know, like working university while you're doing your business, while you're studying, while you're doing all this shit and having completely no life for X amount of years, you kind of, you had that foresight and I mean, you wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't actually love the process, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, that, maybe love is it's a bit, <laughs> bit of a, you know, sometimes it's accurate, sometimes it's not, but there, there is something, you know, intrinsically fulfilling and meaningful about that process, which actually I'm going to go off on a tangent kind of annoys me when people are like, Oh, what do you even care? Like, it's just lifting. Like who the fuck? And I'm like, man, this means a lot to a lot of people. Like, how are you going to say that powerlifting or bodybuilding, like just try and diminish its value? It's like, how is that less intrinsically valuable than your fucking career or your relationship or anything? It's like, you know what I mean? So that kind of pisses me off when people say shit like that. It's like maybe to you, but not to someone else, you know? So I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> the people who don't get that though are not the ones making careers out of this and that's yeah, the thing, right and that's kind of why i originally said like if you want to pursue this to the highest level there has to be that desire for what the day-to-day -day looks like mm -hmm. because the day-to-day -day is what's going to keep you going like it's just going to take time for you to get to that highest level so, I mean, there's still levels that I like, like everybody needs to go up levels, right? Like there's, even if you're doing well and making business coaching or you're even making money as a bodybuilder or a powerlifter or whatever, like there's always levels to continue to improve. So that, that never really changes. It's just what level are you acting at? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, I feel like that's a, a decent spot to kind of round with the conversation. Was there anything else that maybe we didn't talk about that you think is pertinent to care? Yeah, no, I think um, self-advocacy would be the last one. So understand your role as an athlete is to execute um, plans or orders from a coach. I don't like to use orders because coaching to me should be like a two equals dynamic in my opinion, but yeah. Um, you should be following a plan from a coach. However, there's also a responsibility for you to learn through this process of being an athlete. 
even if you don't want to coach because there should be an expectation for you to be able to make decisions for yourself and be able to have conversations with your coach and understand what's going on as you go through these levels it's kind of like where i made the comment of like the nutrition skills need to be there as an advanced athlete to be able to do these things if you're not spending time learning while you're going through the process there's a very big gap in development and progress that you're missing because you can pay eight hundred dollars a month for the best coach in the world but they're not going to be there holding your hand on the day-to-day -day. and so there needs to be some sort of educational process of you learning what actually optimizes your bodybuilding progress so that you're free to do the things that you need to do on the day to day to make it happen. Um, and I think that that's a, a big important thing because um, self-advocacy is something that I'm very passionate about from uh, not only from a client to coach perspective, but especially from like a client to medical professional perspective, um, just because there is a dynamic there of learning yourself and learning your body that needs to be present. So um, I think that'd be the last piece is like making sure that is a cornerstone of everything that you do as you walk through your process. Awesome. Yeah, no, I think that's a fantastic point to kind of end on here. So um, where can where can people find you? Yeah, so no switch fitness is pretty much the easiest way to find me on any platform. So that's Instagram, YouTube. Um, those are, are probably our main ones. Um, J3 University, it opens up once a month. So I'm doing a lot of my educational stuff through there. I also, we also do seminars every couple months, twice a year, three times a year. Um, we have, I don't know when this will come out, but we have one coming up August 14th at Destination Dallas. It's a peak week seminar where we're going over everything from contest prep to that. So that's a great place to kind of find some of the education in person that we do. Um, but mostly just no switch fitness on any platform in J3 University, because that's where I'm spending 99% of my time. Um, Coaching is just link in bio, practical IG influencer comment, but just, <laughs> yeah. just go in there and, and fill it out and uh, we'll get you set up and moving from there. Awesome, man. So all that stuff's gonna be linked up in the show notes, guys. Definitely go make sure you check it out. Um, Luke puts out a ton of great content and uh, and yeah, man, it's it's been great having you on. Appreciate you making the time. Yeah, appreciate you having me.